This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, a huge welcome. Can I add that to raise this morning? My name's John. I'm part of the leadership team here in Jubilee, although some years ago now we moved to Burton and we, if you're not familiar with what's happening in Jubilee, we're planting a church into Burton, it's now just over a year old and that church would send its warm love and greetings to you up here and we're so aware of your financial and your practical support for us as a church plant. Um, thank you for Caroline for coming down, she came back from holiday the day before and then came to us to lead worship on the day um, and it's great to see all this equipment here, I'm not familiar with any of this equipment, um, we have a tin can with some string in it for our <laughs> for our microphones and this is wonderful stuff so one day we aspire to have some of this stuff but thank you so much for your support. I wonder if I might start by um, just sharing a story because I've moved to a new town and this probably this story probably applies more to the the gentleman in the room I don't think it applies to the ladies but bear with me ladies so it applies to the gentleman in the room and and if you're in here from Resound today which I think you're staying in then this will happen to you at some stage in your life. I'm being an elder person now, I'm coming into things in my life which I wasn't aware happened. So I went in to find a new hairdresser. Yes, I know. Yeah, right, okay. So um, turning up in Burton for the first time, I tried several out, and, and finally I found this great Turkish barbers. Now I'm looking at Chris and Christine because they're probably going to wince when I tell some of this story. So I found this great Turkish barber, and I've been there a couple of times, and the first time I went in seems fine. They, spoke moderate English and I came out with my hair intact and looking okay. I went in the last week and um, there was a new guy, um, Turkish guy. So I walk in, I was the first in the shop, he sat me by the window, I thought it's very nice. And then I could tell from, from the start the guy didn't speak very good English. And so we get into the haircut and I said I'll have a, oh, he, only, he doesn't use scissors, they only use the clippers and the, and the razors and all the rest of it. So I said, he said what do you want? I said I'll have a number five with four up the side, that's quite cool isn't it? But is that quite cool Chris? Five and a four, nearly. Very <laughs> cheek. So anyway, I was having this done, and then he said something to me, and I thought what he said is, would you like your beard trimmed? And I thought, well, actually, I quite like my beard trimmed today. But what he actually said was, would you like your nose hairs removed? <laughs> so I'd said yes to this. Next thing that happened, he'd got these cotton wool buds and this wax. Okay. It's not funny which he proceeded to poke up each nostril, and that was bad enough. And then, to my horror, he left me like that for about 10 minutes while the, presumably the wax was drying off. And the thing that I hadn't realised is I looked to my, my left-hand side, there was a bus queue outside. <laughs> and these people were looking in. Has anybody seen that Blackadder thing where the guy, when he wrote an accident, puts two pencils up his nose to pretend that he's going to get out going over the top? Brilliant. I felt like that. For 10 minutes, I sat there with these things hanging out of my nose. And then he came back to me and he said, now? I thought, what do you mean now? And then he went, oh, and oh, Anyway, look. It's brilliant, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. So I can give you their um, address if you like. Anyway. Okay, we're going to be going, we're uh, carrying on in our series of Acts here in the church. And we, we've reached Acts 20, verses 1 to 12. If you'd like to be looking that up. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the message translation today, but I want to just quickly timeline and context what we're looking at today. So if we go back 30, so 27 years before we're talking about the verses we're talking about today, uh, we know that Jesus was taken up to heaven 
And then suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, then the Holy Spirit comes. The early church is born. Thousands are added. And then, I know this is Graham's favourite passage. And I think the last time I got to preach for it, I felt very good about that. So just some of the things that happened in the early church, and this is really what we, I guess, what we would love to happen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching. Everyone was filled with awe. Many signs and wonders were done. All the believers were together, having everything in common, selling their position, possessions they gave to each other. They broke bread. They enjoyed God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. That was the early church in AD 20. And now we're in AD 57. AD 53, Paul begins his third and last missionary journey. This is part of his last missionary journey. And AD 53 to 56, Paul remains in Ephesus. And that's where we pick up this today's story. And about AD 57, uh, just before Paul is either imprisoned in Caesarea or he's under house arrest in Rome. And that lasted for five years. And then five years after that, he's actually executed by the Roman authorities. So Paul's in his last 10 years of his ministry as we find him in these verses. So I believe two weeks ago, Ray spoke on Acts 19, 22 to 41, the riot in Ephesus. And if you remember, if you weren't here, Paul had fallen foul of the silversmith Demetrius, who was making images of the pagan god Artemis. And then in verse 26 of, of, of Acts 19, it says, this is Demetrius speaking, he, Paul, says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. And he says, we will lose trade. And then Demetrius basically incites a riot. So that's where we left chapter 20. Now we come into Acts 20, and I'm reading for the message version. So it starts off with things back to normal, e.g. after the riot has subsided. Paul called the disciples together and encouraged them to keep up the good work in Ephesus. Then saying his goodbyes, he left for Macedonia. Travelling through the country, passing from one gathering to another, he gave constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. Then he came to Greece and he stayed on there for three months. Just as he was about to sail for Syria, the Jews cooked up a plot against him. So he went the other way, back by land through Macedonia, and he gave them the slip. His companions for the journey were Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus, both Thessalonians, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and two from Western Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. They went on ahead and they waited for us in Trias. Meanwhile, we stayed in Philippi for the Passover week and then set sail. Within five days, we were again in Trias and we stayed there a week. We met on Sunday to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper. Paul addressed the congregation. Our plan was to leave first thing in the morning, but Paul talked on way past midnight. We were meeting in a well-lighted upper room. A young man named Eutychus was sitting in an open window. As Paul went on and on, Eutychus fell sound asleep, and he toppled out of the third-story window. When they picked him up, he was dead. Paul went down, and he stretched himself on him, and he hugged him hard. No more crying, he said. There's life in him yet. Then Paul got up, and he served the Master's Supper, and went on telling stories of the faith until dawn. On that note, they left, Paul going one way, the congregation another, leading the boy off alive and full of life themselves. Let me just pray. Father, I pray this morning that you will help us all to understand what you want us to get from these passages, Lord God. 
Father, I pray that we will move on in our knowledge and depth of you this morning because of what we're going to hear and see, Lord God. Father, we thank you so much for your written word. Amen. Okay, well, you can't fail to see that this is an extremely unusual and interesting story. And my first thoughts when Graham gave me this text was, well, thanks, Graham. But my overactive mind went into overdrive, and I thought, I know, I could bring a really lively word in regard to health and safety in our meetings. (laughs) Oh, okay. Or maybe talk to our young people and youth about the dangers of sitting on windowsills when Tim is speaking. Yeah, that hit the right spot, didn't it? I could tell that. Okay. Or I could talk about the dangers of preaching for 10 hours, as Paul did in this story. Or indeed, we could try it this morning. Okay. At first glance, this story seems like a bit of a comedy. In fact, the name Eutychus means fortunate. Now, isn't that strange that he was born with that name, and yet he fell out of a window? Strange. So, if there was such a thing as the Ephesus Evening Post, I can imagine the headlines the next day. Young person's eyes glaze over. See, glaze, windows glaze. Are you with me? Oh, yeah. Yes? Look, I've come from Burton. Come on, at least give me some encouragement. <laughs> Young person's eyes glaze over, then he topples off a sill, and he remains very still. Oh. Hey, that's a marvellous headline, isn't it? So, why is this account here? We know that all scripture is God-breathed, and so there will be a significant reason for its inclusion. And this particular story about Eutychus maybe detracts a little from what I feel God has laid on my heart to bring to you this morning. And I don't think this text is primarily about long preaches, about people falling asleep in meetings, or even about taking the Lord's Supper or raising the dead. Although you might legitimately expect someone to preach on at least the last two of those points. And, I would, and it would be true to say that these verses, and indeed throughout the book of Acts, that there are many, many wonderful aspects of the early church that we can learn from. Indeed, lots of these have formed a template which we have adopted in church life over many years. And I, for one, have been so thankful for the structures, the doctrines, and the vision and value that Jubilee Church has been built upon. These building blocks of church life have helped massively as we build a church in Burton for God's glory. But I realise that the church is not perfect and it never will be. It will let you down, but more often it will build you up and by God's grace it has the power to set us free. So I believe that this text isn't exclusively about what the gathering of the church on Sunday was like, but ultimately this message is all about encouragement. It's talking about giving and receiving Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered encouragement one to another. At first glance, it might not look like that, but three times in the NIV in this short passage, we have the Greek words periklia or periklete used. These are words that are used to describe a comforter, but not just a comforter, but someone who comes alongside us and lifts and encourages our spirit. And the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the paraclete. These words are used three times in the short passage. In verse is one and two, the word encouragement is used twice. And at the end of verse 12, the word comforted is used. This is the same word in the Greek text. 
And we see Paul in these verses setting the example and leading the way for us to follow. So the theme is, it's important for us to be edified and encouraged by God's word and by God directly, but it's also very important for us to encourage one another. In fact, it's vital for healthy church life. So yes, in a very practical sense, please thank and encourage those who serve diligently in this church, week in and week out. They deserve high praise and honour. And can I be just very practical at this time? Could I ask you just to now, just quickly look around the church. Maybe there's someone you've never spoken to before. Maybe there's someone that you know serves in a particular team. Could I encourage you after this meeting just to go up to them and say, thank you for what you're doing. The thanks and encouragement in church life just breeds. You start it, it will continue to do it. So when we talk about encouragement, we're not necessarily talking about flattery or just necessarily comments that pump you up to make you feel good. In fact, when you're giving or receiving encouragement, it's important to remember that ultimately it's not really about you and I at all. You see, when we anchor our encouragement in the person, maybe it's in their personality traits or their giftings, it's nice and it can be beneficial, but it sort of ends there. But instead, when we use that opportunity to direct them back to God, we are remembering that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12 verse 2. It's all about him. It always was and it always will be. So when we say to someone, I see the grace of God in your life, that should cause that person to be transformed to the very core of who they are in God. Their gratitude is in God, Galatians 3, 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 17 says, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It's part of our wonderful inheritance. I just love to see people growing in God. I love people's testimonies. My secular job was to train people, basically, and to get them to a, to a finished place where they could pick up more responsibility. And I, I found it such a privilege to be at the baptisms last week where Reuben and James were being baptised. And I just loved to hear their stories about how God had come and changed their lives. Reuben, a young, a young guy, and James, an older, an older guy now, but he's, God had broken into his life and completely changed how he saw the world. He completely changed him and transformed him. And this is the power of the transforming work of the gospel in that we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So can I encourage you, when we see this transforming work happening, tell the person, because when we anchor our action to God and his doing, his power at work in their lives, then that person is set free from thinking, oh, and I thought it was by works, I thought I had to try harder to earn God's favour and his love. No, it's by God's most amazing grace that we are ever changed at all. Nothing to do with ourselves, lest we should boast. So in the first six verses of this text, it shows Paul going from church to church. He'd already planted these churches some time ago, and now he's going back to encourage them. But I get this sense of urgency in this journey of Paul's, and it seems like he knows 
he knows he will never get another chance to come back again. And so he's making sure each moment is spoken for, each word he uses is crucial and well thought out. And you have to ask yourself the question, what on earth was Paul saying to the people in these verses we have read? What could possibly have taken 10 to 12 hours to relay? The answer is found, I believe, in verse 2. He was giving constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. And then in verse 6, he was telling stories of the faith. Isn't it great to spend time with faith-filled people who encourage and bring hope? I wonder if you can think of them now as you're sitting there. People you love to be around, that always seem to be bringing faith to bear, hope to bear. But the encouragement that Paul brings here is not superficial. He has encouraged them in the gospel, reminding them of the fact that God was faithful to bring them from spiritual death to a new life in Jesus Christ. You see, there is nothing that can ever separate you or take you away from the grasp of God because of what Jesus accomplished on that cross. I heard a story about a a young dad and his young son walking along the beach one day. And the boy was holding the dad by just one of his fingers. And as he walked along, the boy trips and falls into the sand. The dad picks him up, dusts off his knees, and they walk along again. And the boy again grabs hold of one of the dad's fingers. And they walk. And again the son falls. And again the, the dad picks him up. And it happens a third time the son falls. Then the dad grabs the son's hand and he's holding on as they walk along. And the son does not fall. And you see, that is the reality of our salvation. Yes, we cling to God, we love God, we want to be near him and grow deeper into our love for him. And we want our relationship with him to grow, but ultimately, if it was left to us to hold on to God, well, for me at least, at the first sign of trouble, can I suggest that I might fall away, separated from him? But the fact that he holds on to us means that we are eternally secure in him. We did not initiate our salvation, but God initiated our salvation. He sent his son to earth taking on human flesh, living a perfect life that we never could have lived. And then he dies a terrible death on a cross for the very purpose of making a way for our sin to be punished. Our sin placed upon Jesus, Jesus experiencing the punishment for it, which was the just anger of God. But not only did Jesus take on the just anger of God upon himself when he hung on that cross, but he had lived a perfect, righteous life. And the life that he lived has now been accredited to our account. So in the minute when you first believed, when you first asked Jesus to come into your life, when you first understood the wonderful finished work that he had accomplished on the cross, you were forgiven. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. And there used to be that cartoon that someone once drew. There used to be in the middle of the ocean, there was a little sign that said, No fishing. Don't go digging up what God has already taken away and dealt with. 
and there's more. But in that moment, you are also justified. Just if I'd never sinned and you were declared righteous in his sight. And you see, justification is now our position before God. You and I don't practice justification. It happens once for all upon our conversion. It is immediate and it is totally complete. You will never be more justified than you are the first moment you trust in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. This truth has real applications for our lives as it did for those early churches. These churches were experiencing all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of trouble. You see, the Macedonian churches were extremely poor and they are leading the way in generosity. They heard from Paul about Jerusalem and how the Christians there were suffering because they had no money. Many had lost their livelihoods because of the declaration of their faith. And as Paul is on this journey, he's going around taking up a collection from all of the churches to take back to the church in Jerusalem. Remember also that these Macedonian churches were filled predominantly with Gentiles and they were giving their meagre resources to these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And there's only one thing in my mind that can explain that. It's the gospel at work. The gospel has transformed the lives of those in those churches. And this was the way they demonstrated their paraclete, their encouragements, one to another. Then Paul is going on and he's reminding the Macedonian churches, look, God, he rescued you. Do you think he rescued you in order to leave you floundering? No, he rescued you and he's given you the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Why? To empower you for the days ahead. So these 12 verses we read are riddled with Paul's encouragement to the local church. We see it throughout Paul's ministry. It's part of his very DNA. So how are we doing in our encouragement of one another? Are our lives riddled with encouragement? Is encouragement part of the DNA here in Jubilee Church? Hebrews 10.24 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Here the unknown author is instructing the church that when you see that day approaching, the day when Christ will return for his bride, the church, then we should be encouraging each other all the more. Let us hold fast, us the local church, looking for opportunities and ways to spur one another on. And let us consider, let us consider how to stir one another up. The word consider means that we are taking time to contemplate, to think deeply upon, to work out ways of how to love each other, to walk in obedience more, to use the gifts God has bestowed upon us more. I wonder, is there a person missing from this church or missing from your life group that you've noticed recently? Or in youth, is there one of your team that aren't here? Can I encourage you to call them and encourage them? Please chase after the ones that you don't see here anymore. Jesus left the 99 and he went after the one. It's part of our calling as a Christian to look after those that are fallen away or we don't see very often. 
So church, how can we love one another with the love of Christ? How can we support one another even better than we are doing now? How can we come alongside one another, particularly in times of great trouble and need, shoulder to shoulder and linking arms? How can we show that we are in this walk together? What are you facing? What are you up against this morning? Let's face it together. We are stronger together than we are and ever will be apart. Let's encourage and bring hope to one another and let's protect and keep as a priority the assembling together for the sake of one another, for our own sake and ultimately and primarily for the glory of God. I wonder if the band can come back, please. Just in just sort of in closing, what I what I'd love to do now is we're gonna we're gonna sing another song, and then if you've been in this church for some time, or even if you're a visitor, the, the way this works is I'm just gonna ask you um, a couple of questions, and then we'd love to pray for you. Um, normally we do that down the front here, don't have to, but we can do it down the front. So I'm just gonna sum up a couple of things here. First two we read here: Paul gave constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. And I believe that God's Holy Spirit is here to do exactly that this morning. And this is very simple. I'm not going to stand here for ages. But I believe there are people here who are discouraged this morning. Who just need a touch of hope back in their lives again. And I believe the paraclete, God's helper and comforter, is here to lift your spirit and to bring fresh hope to you this morning. And so we're going to sing another song. And during that, or at the end of that, we'd love you to come down. We want to pray for you. If you want hope restored this morning, if you're in the centre of much discouragement and you just want, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, people to encourage you and to build you up. If you just want an arm around the shoulder, if you just think, I just need a a Christian hug this morning because of the situation I'm in, then can I encourage you to come down the front we just love to gather around you, gather some folks in the church around you, lay hands on you and pray for you. And can I just say, I believe the Holy Spirit will fall upon you. I believe he's here this morning. I know that he changes lives. So we just say, come Spirit of God this morning. And speak to individual hearts. Father, you know the ones that are hurting. You know the ones that are in a good place, Lord. Father, you know those that just need a hug or just a word of encouragement or they just need the hope restored because of the situations they find themselves in, Lord. And Father, we've all been there. We know what that's like. But Lord, many of us can testify coming out the other side of that as well. So we're going to sing a song. Thank you very much, guys. And we're going to just gather people and pray for them.
So we just really wanted to share something that happened on Thursday afternoon. Um, we weren't planning on talking about this, but after what John said, we, you need to know that there are people in this church who live and breathe what John has spoken about today. So on Thursday afternoon, came home to find that we've been burgled, um, and it just we just communicated with a few people. The point is not really that. The point is that the few people that we let know immediately said, is there anything we can do to help? Um, John and Julie live just down the road, and I know that he's deeply uncomfortable with you doing this, but you need to know that this man embodies what he's bringing to you. He was there um, within a quarter of an hour, um, ready to board up windows, ready to do whatever. People brought round uh, flowers and gifts in the, 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 the following couple of days, just spent a little bit of time with us. Just, I, I can't tell you enough, like John said, in terms of difficult times, we know that our God is faithful, and we know that the church is to be the arm of care at that time. Um, but to experience it is just wonderful. I think. You want to... Yeah, I think when that kind of thing happens to you, and your your personal space is invaded in that way, and especially when you have a little tiny baby within that, um, just I know for me, my automatic reaction is to feel very, very anxious and like a, you know, just desperately fearful. But just the prayers of the people that have known about this and people have covered us. Last night we went home, Hugo just slept beautifully, we had great sleep. I just feel, and I really feel this is because of the care and the prayer that we've had. I just, I feel really quite defiant in God, actually, just to, just to, fear isn't going to take a hold of us, actually. And I'm off all day, every day with Hugo, and actually... I think we're going to be great because I just know that God is really with us in this. And I just would say really from the front, just I just really want to honour all of you who have kept texting, kept ringing, kept praying. Um, it, has, it has transformed the situation for us. So thank you so much. Yeah, and just, just to say, that is it. It's about honouring. John and Julie had Izzy and Hugo to stay for a couple of nights. I didn't even, I hadn't clocked that John was preaching this Sunday, but... It's the speech and the walk that is matched up in their lives and in the lives of others around this church. So we just want to say a real sincere thank you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.